right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. <laughs> From the Kissing Cousin Center in beautiful downtown Auburn, California. Mm. Welcome to the Cityscape Magazine podcast. What you got? In the not-too-distant future, as a final response to terrorism and crime, the U.S. government plans to broadcast a signal making it impossible for anyone to knowingly commit unlawful acts. That is the synopsis for The Last Days of American Crime. (laughs) Or the summary. All right. Directed by Olivia Megaton. Great name, you know. (laughs) And starring Edgar Ramirez, Michael Pitt, um, Charlotte Copley, and whoever else who gives a shit. All right. So this movie is on Netflix. It is two and a half hours long and it is two and a half hours of shit. <laughs> For lack of a better description. I the, This movie popped up like around the same time as The Five Bloods did and I mean, Netflix was pimping the fuck out of this movie. It was like, oh, number one watch movie in America right now, trending and fucking blah, blah, blah. And I mean, from the trailer that they show on on the Netflix page, um, it it looked, I mean, it already didn't look like it was really that interesting, you know, because it's, for one thing, it's got Edgar Ramirez, who he's not that interesting of an actor. Sure, he's, he's attractive, kind of, but he's not... He's not a leading man. He's just boring. He's a boring fucking guy. But actually, he fits perfect with this movie because this movie is fucking boring. Okay, so the premise is it's set in 2025. Crime is going just overboard in the country. And scientists have come up with this signal, right? Which I read in the summary. The signal, it stops people in their tracks. If they try, if they have a thought of doing anything that's illegal, They, if they try to physically move, the signal makes their brain stop them from doing it and they just can't move. They become paralyzed. And so all of a sudden it's been signed into effect, this law. And once the signal goes on, it's going to run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365, blah, blah, blah. And all crime is going to be virtually eliminated in the country. Right. So no one's allowed to leave the country while this is happening, while there there's the, you know, the countdown is going towards this time, you know, this, the signal being released. And it, the, the, the movie starts like one week before this is going to happen. And so all this crime, there's looting in the streets, everyone, just all this criminal shit happening. Anyone who tries to leave the country by like going over the Canadian border or whatever gets shot, you know, and, and apparently for some reason, which they don't really explain, money is not going to have any value. So it's pointless to try to steal any money because after the signal's released, money's worthless or some shit. It makes no fucking sense. So it uses this this idea, this premise, and you think that, it, you know, it's interesting. It's got like a purge type premise that's interesting, 
but it just like the purge it doesn't do anything with it it uses it as a cheap gimmick like i i remember when i did my review for the, for the original purge movie and the whole movie is just set in a house and you barely get to see anything and so they use a cool premise and they do nothing with it until you get to the second movie which should have been the first movie so but i'm not going to do a review another review of the purge this movie does the same thing cool idea that isn't fully fleshed out so just because it's a cool idea if you don't put any actual thought into what would happen in this country let alone the world if you were releasing a signal like this that could stop people in their tracks you know what are the implications of it they don't delve into it at all and this movie's two and a half fucking hours long and you don't have time to delve into that shit no instead every scene has edgar fucking ramirez staring at people he just stares and then he every once in a while he'll say a couple words and then he stares intently again. And I, I started laughing because every scene would do it. And every character they introduce, they try to make them look like they're important and they're not. They have no personality. I didn't give a fuck about a single person in this film. There's this love interest who's like a prostitute, lying whore, working for the feds. Her sister's being held captive, so she has to do bad things. Blah, blah, fucking blah. Okay, Edgar Ramirez, Edgar Ramirez has to, you know, uh, he has to, you know, try to save her at the same time he's trying to do this last heist. This huge, big, giant heist before the, um, before the signal goes, right? And so... Michael Pitt, who's the son, who plays the son of a mob boss, he, he's he got this plan to steal all this money. And so Edgar Ramirez is going to work with them to do it. Michael Pitt is an odd actor. I've seen him in other things like Funny Games and a couple other things. He's a good actor when you give him something. But in this movie, he looks, he acts just like a poor man's Jared Leto. Like fucking horrible. Over the top like cliche like like a new york accent gangster you know accent it just does not work and also this movie i think is because it's done by a french guy i think it's like a a cigarette promotion movie because every scene every character except for ramirez's has a cigarette in their hand or in their mouth or they're fucking lighting one and they're constant it's weird it just it's it's like intentionally there to keep fucking like hammering it down or some shit or to make them look cool or, or, or dirty or whatever. I, it, it just, it, it weird, trashy. And the sex scenes aren't even sexy in this movie. They're trashy and not good trashy either. They're just, it's like a um, gratuity or it just exploitive. Is that, is that the word exploitative? It, 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 there's nothing fun about the sex scenes. There's a scene where the love interest she walks into a bar where Ramirez is sitting and she approaches him because, you know, she like the whole room stops when she walks in. No one hears a goddamn thing. It, they just see her. Right. Like, oh, like I was waiting for a record skip sound to fucking happen when she walked in the room. Didn't happen. But but whatever. So she walks up to Ramirez's character who's sitting all cool and staring at this bar. Right. And. And she just sits up next to him and they start talking like they know each other. So I'm thinking, okay, they know each other and they're just going through this sexy back and forth because he's like, um, they're teasing each other before they fuck, right? No, they, they go into the bathroom and they fuck. 
But then you find out that this is the first time they've ever met each other. And then that she's the fiance of Michael Pitt's character who walks into the bar right after they come out of the bathroom from fucking. And he's talking and he doesn't even know that they just fucked throughout the whole movie until you get near the end. He doesn't know they're having an affair. It makes no sense. He always walks in when they're like almost on each other, like mounting each other. But yet he still doesn't fucking know. It's it's insulting. It, the movie fucking insulted me as I'm sitting there. Like, how am I supposed to buy this shit? I, I can't buy it at all. And another insult from this film, besides all the staring, is Charlton Copley. I am biased when it comes to Charlton Copley. I fucking love this guy. I love him in everything he's been in. In the A-Team, in Chappie, District 9, all that stuff. You know, Elysium. Everything I've seen him in. He's in this movie. He plays a cop that, okay, there's cops that are going to go out. They're, they're not going to be able to work anymore because once the, the, the signal goes into effect, he cannot, none of the cops are, are worth anything anymore because, you know, they, there's no violence, right? So a cop can elect to have surgery where a chip is implanted into their brain and then the signal doesn't affect them. So then they can still arrest people, which makes no sense because if no one's committing crimes, why would you need to be able to arrest people? So, okay, another thing they never delve into. So they introduced the subplot of his, of Charlton Copley's character, like he's going to be important to the movie, right? It shows him sitting behind a desk, you know, and, and, you know, he wants to have the, the surgery and it looks like he's got, like, he's pondering something. There's something important going on in his life and he just wants to do better or, or make a difference or some shit. And then it shows him like three times in the entire film, like I said, in two and a half hours. And then he has, he gets the chip implanted and then he's gone again for another hour. And then, oh, he fights the main girl and then she kills him. And there's no, there's no nothing. There's nothing. It was like, why the fuck was he even in this movie? It, uh, uh, I, I can't even wrap my brain around why. Anyway, it's like when you watch another good actor in a movie and they can't do anything with it. It's like watching, I don't know, maybe Sam Rockwell in Poltergeist 2015 or, or something where you have someone who's really good in roles and very charismatic and they, they have nothing they can do with the role. This is like really bad. Charlton Copley shouldn't even have been in this fucking movie. I think maybe he just was in it because they filmed part of it in South Africa or something or, or whatever, but it's just shit movie shit. I remember I was an hour and a half into it and my son comes out and he's like, what are you watching? I go, Oh, this piece of shit movie. I'm like, I, I got to finish it though. Cause that's how I am with most movies. If it, there's only a couple movies I've ever seen in my life that I could not finish. And I can't even remember what they, one was empire of the sun from 1987. I could never finish that fucking movie. Oh no, I'm sorry. Let me, let me backtrack the last emperor. I always mix those two up. I could not finish the last emperor. It was so fucking boring. And then there was another film. Oh, the, the um, <laughs> it was this one with Charlie Sheen, the Charles Swan movie, the third or something like that. It's even got Bill Murray in it. And it's on Netflix. That movie is so fucking shitty. I, I think I made it about 44 minutes into it and I had to, I couldn't, I couldn't go back to it. So there, there's been a couple, but this movie is, you can, you can watch it. It's just, not, it doesn't deliver anything. There's no, there's no heart to it. There's no emotion. There's no creativity to it. The action scenes are they're they're decently shot, but it it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It it's like 
it's almost like watching a Michael Bay film recently and but but take away any charismatic characters because even in a michael bay film there's still funny characters and there's still over the top things going on that are still to a point kind of entertaining this movie has that but without that it like has the michael bay action but none of the the charisma or the, the goofiness to it so it makes michael bay shit like from michael bay stuff from the last 20 years look great and that's saying something. That's how shitty this fucking movie is. Save yourselves two and a half hours of time. I don't know. Start learning Spanish or something, maybe even French, so that you could write Olivier Megaton a letter and tell him to stop making this shit. Because when it comes to action movies, he's like the Yui Bowl of action movies. And we don't need another another Michael Bay Yui Bowl. No. The Last Days of American Crime is a complete and utter waste of time. <laughs> no! <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> I could come up with other things, man, but I, I just, yeah. I think I gave enough time to this shitty movie. Seven warriors do battle to save a peaceful planet from a ruthless conqueror who promises to give his laser-toting mutant followers eternal life by grafting victims' organs and limbs onto their aged bodies. Is this Star Trek Insurrection? I give you <laughs> my review of Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh! <laughs> okay, so Star Trek Insurrection stole the idea. <laughs> Produced by Roger Corman, directed by Jimmy Murakami, starring Richard Thomas, Robert Vaughn, George Papard, John Saxon, Sybil Dan Danning, and Darlene Flugel. <laughs> like you would know any of those people. Richard Thomas. I know half of them. Does the voice of Mercedes. He is the voice of Mercedes. John Boy. Robert Vaughn was in a ton of movies and TV shows. He's always like the bad guy. Yeah. But in this one, he's not a bad guy. He's he come some. He was, yeah. Basketball. He was in basketball. George Papard. Hannibal. Yep. John Saxon, who plays the bad guy. Sybil Danning, she's in a ton of sex movies. And Darlene Flugel, uh, she died in 2017. She was an American actress. Let's see. She was in, just so you know, The Eyes of Laura Mars, To Live and Die in L.A., Bulletproof, and Pet Cemetery 2. And Die, Darkman, Die, Darkman 3. So, uh, just so you know who John Saxon is, he was in... Street. Yes, but Enter the Dragon, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and From Dusk Till Dawn. Mm. He's he's in a, a lot of goddamn movies. I don't remember him being in Dusk Till Dawn. He's in a Dusk Till Dawn, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He's also in The Last Samurai, My Mom's a Werewolf, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. He was FBI agent Stanley Chase from Dusk Till Dawn, and Lancelot, Guardian of Time. This movie sucked. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Corman. This is an actual, this is supposed to be a remake of The Seven Samurai or Magnificent Seven in Outer Space. It was written by John Sayles with a score done by James Horner and special effects designed by James Cameron. It was released by New World Pictures and it was a moderate success. So essentially, John Boy is a farmer. Go figure. And the farming world... Akir is threatened by the tyrannical warlord Sador, played by John Saxon, who rules the sinister Malmori Empire and his body parts deteriorating 
and his body parts deteriorating. One is capturing and appropriating them from other. What the fuck? I'm literally. I think it'd just be better if you described the movie yourself. I have to read this. <laughs> Sater's huge dreadnought, nicknamed the Hammerhead, mounts a stellar converter, a weapon that turns planets into small stars. He demands uh, our planets already small stars. He demands that the peaceful Akira submit to him. I mean, Akira. Submit to him when he returns in seven risings of your red giant, or he will turn his stellar converter on their planet. Zed, played by Jeff Corey, last of the famous Akira Corsairs, is old and nearly blind. He suggests they hire mercenaries to protect their world. Since Akira, now it's Akira, lacks valuable resources, its planet can offer just food and shelter and payment. Unable to go in person, Zed offers... How can it, like, on a gigantic world... Right. And the only thing that you can offer people is food or shelter. Uh-huh. Where's the economy of this world? Like, doesn't this world create that? Like, aren't there resources that you can mine? Cultivate, yeah. Water, pussy. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a gigantic world. There's got to be mountains. It's Roger Corman, dude. <sighs> Sales is who it is. Anyways. Shad. Played by Richard Thomas. It's the Shad. Named after a fish. A young man who has piloted the ship. The, uh, who's piloted the ship? Hold on. I, I just, I mean, this summary that they've written, this plot that they've written is so awful. It's even, it's worse than the movie. The ship. Okay. Since Akira lacks valuable resources, it's people can offer just food and shelter and payment. We already talked about that. Unable to go in person, Zed offers his ship, the one that looks like a giant slug, for the job, if they can find a pilot, the ship is fast and well armed, but despite its AI navigation, tactical computer Nell cannot defeat Sator alone. Shad, a young man who has piloted the ship and is well known to Nell, volunteers for the recruiting mission. Now, that's a whole bunch of bullshit because Richard Thomas's character gets in the ship and, like, he doesn't know how to fly it, first and foremost. Nell, who is a sarcastic bitch, uh, keeps telling him what to do and how to fly and shoot. And then, like, he gets up on a ship as he's leaving. Yeah. And he has the ship in his crosshairs. And she's like, shoot at them. And he's like, no, no, it feels all wrong. I've never fired a gun in my life. And, you know, I'm just like, okay, Luke Skywalker, let's go. Come on. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, Richard Thomas was up for the role of Luke Skywalker. Uh, he, you know, he was one of the actors. Yeah, I'm he glad. He's got that big old fucking mole on his face. Yeah, I'm that wouldn't have worked. I'm glad they did but he that. almost looks like Mark Hamill, so. Yeah, but there's. You, no. Seeking weapons, Shad goes to space station. Uh, Alpha, Veta, Zebra. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he, he heads of Dr. Hephaestus, perhaps named after the weaponsmith of the Olympus gods. Yeah, okay. An old friend of Zed. The station is populated by androids except for two humans whose numerous life support systems have turned him into a cyborg. And his beautiful dollar, dollar? daughter, Nanelia, who looks after him and the androids. Look, I lost all interest in this movie the moment I press play because it's very difficult to watch a Roger Corman movie unless you're in the mood. Yeah. And... I'm not a fan of Richard Thomas. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of the entire cast except for George Papard. There's a scene in this movie where Richard Thomas is flying along in a ship and he's like negotiating with all the other characters, all the, the seven other characters, and trying to get him to join this revolution to defeat the Sator guy. 
So Sybil Danning keeps following him like a lost puppy, you know, hi, I'm here guys. How you doing? And he's like, get away from me, you know? Yeah. Which is weird. Cause she's just like hot and just wearing nothing. And she's like, but I got boobies. Look at my boobies. And then you have Robert Vaughn's character that just appears out of nowhere. And they're, they're all sitting in like this weird cockpit where, um, I don't know how to exactly explain what the cockpit is for these for these spaceships. Yeah. Other than it's like um it's like a weird Formula 1 race car cockpit. Yeah. Or a seat and then they have um the the steering column is like anything it's everything that is wrong with this that went right for Star Wars, you yeah. know? All the ships have these manual controls, and this one looks like it's just like uh, futuristic mumbo jumbo garbage. I don't even know how to explain how the 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 flight controls of the battle from beyond the stars ships work in some of these things, other than to say that think of it as a a regular steering column, and even better, like if you played Spy Hunter. Yep. Or if you've played anything. With a yoke. Yeah, it's it's got that type of yoke, but they come out even further, you know, so that's like they're they're um you have to hold on to it from the bottom. Like the flight sticks are really long and they look like fangs. Okay. Like spider fangs, right? Yeah. And you gotta hold on to it from the bottom. There it's just it's a terrible design. Yeah. George Papard shows up, and every time George Papard shows up, like from the beginning of the movie all the way through, he always introduced himself. His nickname is Cowboy, and he always introduces himself as from Earth. Hi, I'm Cowboy. I'm from Earth. Where are you from? Have you ever been to Earth? Yeah. And he's always smoking and drinking, which is even better because yep. that's how hard it was. And, there, and uh, what was it? Oh, so as they're fi- as they're getting together to do, you know, just like in in Seven Samurai. And just like Magnificent Seven, as they're finally all getting together, their group to go attack this guy, right? Yeah. The, the bad guy. Papard shows up and, and uh, Shad. Shad's like, are you smoking? And Papard's like, yep, that's what I do. He's like, well, I don't like it. <laughs> you should stop. It's not good for your health. Well, we all got to die someday, son, you know? Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not disappointed in the film. Because it's a product of its time. The effects are terrible. Yeah. And I can understand why. I mean, he was only given like a a $2 million or $3 million budget for the movie. But when you have, when you have characters that are basically, they they stole masks from Land of the Lost. You know, you got a slea stack in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, the costume that Sybil Danning is wearing has nothing is nothing. She looks like she looks like a chainmail bikini version of Thor. Yeah. Like we talked about. Richard Thomas is a cross between Luke Skywalker and Battlestar Galactica. George Papard is just a cowboy with a cowboy hat. There's there's no thought put into that one. Yeah, he's like a the poor man's Han Solo. Yeah. Not even that. It was just he's like a he's like Larry the Cable Guy before there was Larry the Cable Guy. You know, he's got the fucking ripped, he's got the shirt with the cutoff sleeves or whatever the fuck it is. And then you have Robert Vaughn, who, well, I mean, long story short, he plays this, he's supposed to play this mysterious character. And it's, 
it's just so badly played. Yeah. Like, oh, we got a we got another friend, but I don't know if he wants us to tell us, you know, his name because he's so private. Like, well, you can call me Matt <laughs> or whatever you said his name was. Like, I, 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 I look. I know that this this whole review is kind of meh, but if you can avoid, if you can watch Battle Beyond the Stars, watch Battle Beyond the Stars. Because everybody needs to see this movie at some point in their life because it's a Roger Corman movie. Well, yeah, and it was highly influenced by the Star Wars rush. Yeah. So Ice Pirates, Battle Beyond the Stars. Uh, there's another one that's very similar to it. They use the same, almost the same exact graphics. Yeah. And those movies, those, these B and C list movies are important because those are the ones that kept Hollywood going. Not, I mean, Star Wars, yeah, or Raiders of the Lost or whatever, Spielberg, Lucas, De Palma, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Take your pick. But really, it was these sub-movies, these movies for two or three million dollars that doubled their budget when they were released out into the wild. Those are the ones that helped fund all these other movies. And Hollywood's gotten away from that because all they see is instant gratification. Yeah, they did the sure things. Not even the sure things, just instant gratification. Well, how much money can I make in one day, you know, or yeah. one weekend? Can we make can we make our budget back in one weekend and then lie about all the other shit that's going on and then creatively account for all the money so that we can line our pockets better than the rest of the knuckleheads? Yeah. And that's the problem with this. But the problem, that's not the problem with this movie. The problem with this movie is bad casting all around. There is the I mean if even if you watch Ice Pirates like that's bad casting too. Ice Pirate like Spaceballs is more of a parody of Ice Pirates than Star Wars. <laughs> it really is. Because I I'm I'm pretty sure that Mel Brooks just said let's just make Ice Pirates again and and have fun with it. Like Lone Star, the way that Lone Star dresses with the you know if he takes off his jacket is the same as I can't remember who is in Ice Pirates um who played the who played the Han Solo type on Ice I've Pirates I've never seen Ice Pirates I have to look it up I'll do my review of Ice Pirates later <laughs> I bet you will so anyways they 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 get into a fight the production is meh. Uh, Battle Amongst the Stars, a prequel comic set 30 years before the BBTS film was launched by Blue Water Productions in March 2010. It's a four-part miniseries that tells the story of how Zed, the old man played by Jeff Corey, began his adventure from the planet Akir with Nell. It also has the characters of Dr. Hephaestus and Seder of Malmori. Woo! Yeah, and the uh, musical score is reused in the movie Sorceress, also yeah. done by Roger Corman. Yes. Kind of reminds me when you said that um, like certain um, cartoons, how they would reuse specific, uh, you know, uh, aerial, you know, drawings or, or whatever you know and background drawings over and over yeah um robert urich was in ice pirates huh. angelica houston ron perlman gets his hand cut off john matuzak michael roberts john carradine and bruce valanche okay oh god yeah that's one of the most unattractive people i've ever seen in my life i, I think in the scale of one to ten of attractive people he is the most unattractive person on the face of the planet. Like him and um, uh, the dude that uh, we did a compelled about. He looks like a rejection from a Chuck E. Cheese 
animatronic <laughs> tryout audition. You know what he looks like? Remember in Dexter's Lab, Dee Dee's friend that was uh, voiced by Dom DeLuise, the 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 whatchamacallit or whatever. It was like Puff the Magic Dragon, but not Puff the Magic Dragon. Okay. It's exactly what he looks like. Fuck, man. It, it, he worked on Star Wars Holiday Special Edition. The oh, holiday. is that why? Star Wars Holiday. Is that why he looks the way he looks? <laughs> he looks like a he's like a he's like Jabba with legs. He looks like a Wookiee groupie or something, like a like a fat Wookiee groupie. Yeah, that's what he looks like. He doesn't look like Jabba the Hutt at all. Wanna wonga. <laughs> Why are we picking on him? We're I, fat shaming Bruce Valanche. I just uh, we're also ugly shaming Bruce Valanche. Yeah, yeah. I like he wouldn't do. He turn around and do that as well. Didn't we? Didn't we compare him to Harry Knowles once? Yes. Yeah, there's like like three of the ugliest people live in two of them live in California, and one of them lives in Canada. So three of them live in the east on the west coast. Yeah, and uh, God, I can't remember the compelled dude that we talked about, the fake tranny. Oh, ugh, yeah, Jessica or was it Yaniv? Yeah, yeah, Yaniv. Can't believe I remembered part of that. Um, yeah, Bruce Valanche, Harry Knowles, and Jonathan Yaniv. Three of the ugliest fucking people on this planet. <laughs> So, for all of you out there that are that are body image conscious or worried about whether you're ugly or not, just Google one of those three names and then take that picture, hold it up to a mirror, and look at yourself in the mirror with that picture next to you. And then go, at least it ain't that bad. And you'll feel so much better. Yeah, there you go. Now you don't have to spend the next hundred grand on Tony Robbins CDs. <laughs> That'll pump up your self-esteem. At least I'm not as ugly as Jessica Yuneef. All right. That's all you got, man? That's all I got. That's all we got. Battle Beyond the Stars. Hidden City. Let's do it. Or haunted City. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Just, yeah. God damn it. Today we are going to be doing Haunted City, directed by Chris Notarelli, with Edward Casper, Tom Patrick Propofsky, Tess Speranza, who, if you remember, she was in The Mask. Yes. The effing mask. And Aaron Toft, people that have worked with Chris before and will continue to work with Chris. And um, Haunted City is a thriller, supernatural suspense movie. A vigilante ghost sets out the free trap spirits doomed to continuously relive their own demise by avenging their deaths. Sure. It's not how I saw it, but sure. <laughs> Okay, I, I didn't know how much more you're gonna read on. That's all I'm gonna read. All right. So yeah, I dude, I don't. Maybe I'm just sometimes slow on the uptake, but I didn't realize that the main character was a ghost until the second haunted city, which we'll talk about in another review. <laughs> but I thought really, I thought she was alive, and like like say say J Haley Joel Osment's character in the Sixth Sense he's alive but you know the you know Bruce Willis is the one that's a ghost right I thought that she was alive and that death was the ghost and then they were you know like they were just working in cahoots to you know get justice for these murder victims right and I I don't know how I didn't realize it it, it I don't I don't know I. I I thought that maybe she just had like some extra powers or something at first and I do. <laughs> you looking at me? See what I mean? Slowing no, the uptake, man. No, no. It's, it, look, 
you got it right. You you understood that I, she was a ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I, she I, was I, working in cahoots with uh, Death or whoever that other second ghost was, and they're avenging people that have been murdered. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, this is a. I mean, it's a simple story, but it's still in ten minutes. It tells tells enough about the story. It, it you know what Noto really is really good at this stuff, man. And uh, you know. To see this guy get hit with a budget, like give him a good, decent sized budget, you know, and, and some time to to flesh out some, you know, characters and script and everything. I, I, I like to see like, like I could see this being turned into like, you know, almost like a a better version of the Ghost Whisperer or something. You or know? a series. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, the, the, if you've ever seen the one with... Um, I know what you Jennifer did last Love summer. Yeah. <laughs> I know I got bigger boobs. That, yeah. yeah, Hewitt. Right. So, um, I know, I know you wanted to do me last summer. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't hardly wait. <laughs> so, dude, Jamie Kennedy was with her for a while, by the way. Yeah. He, Lucky little bastard. Tainted. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, this is this. It reminded me of the Ghost Whisperer, but but better. Like Ghost Whisperer is like the you know episodic fucking you know weekly bullshit, right? There is a scene in this movie. It's the very last scene where the dude is in the car. Yeah, and you see the girl, and all you see is darkness. It's I'm on a Magnolia kick. Uh-huh. But, you know, I've watched Disney Atlantis when, and I, in fact, I've got to watch. My, I'm going to watch my Hellboys probably tonight when. You are watching and you see her head appear behind him. Yeah. And then she screams and then she recedes back into the darkness. I loved that fucking scene. It was so well done. And and I talk about framing and everything else like that. Yeah. Right. So when he said, I don't, I don't care how he set the lighting. I don't care how he set the cameras. All I know is. And and I I mean I do care, but when I'm watching something like this, there are certain things that you know that the person is really good at what they do. Yeah. When they can visually tell you the entire story in a scene, and that almost tells the entire story in a scene. She appears and she screams and he dies, right? Yeah. Or he's already dead, but or he disappears. And then she just recedes away. That was astounding. Yeah. The, the, it's not just the acting, but the entire part of that scene. I can't even remember if there was any music playing in the background of that. It was just like, she said something to him. Yeah. I can't remember. And then she screamed, whatever she's, the normal scream like that. You know, and, and you have to have your, I call it a trope. You have to have your, um, oh, what do they call it? Your style, your... Your phrase, you're saying, you know, catch I'll be phrase. back. Your catchphrase. Trademark. Not, yeah, your trademark. Thank you. Yeah. You know, the Eddie Van Halen tapping or the Steve Vai weirdness or the David Lee Ross scream, right? Mm-hmm. You know, of course, they bring Van Halen into it. But you know what I'm saying? You yeah. have If you have those trademarks. So she has this trademark saying, you know, when she screams at them and the way that it's conveyed, the scream of itself sounds so anguished and so full of despair, you know? Yeah. And then you have, like, as you're watching the movie, the one thing that I notice is that he's pulling from all sorts of genres, uh, especially with the music. Like, at one point, you hear, ch, 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 
and which is very reminiscent of, and this is when they, I, I believe this is when they're in the apartment of the serial killer and he's kind of being stalked and he's like, we're, you know, and he's, he's searching around the apartment. Yeah. And you hear it. You, not only do you hear that, you also hear reminiscent music, background sound or whatever you want to call it of some of the psycho theme. It's not exact. But it's pulled right from it. I mean, it's got that that uh, it's it's called the knife scene, you know, where Janet, uh, yeah, Janet Lee gets killed by Norman Bates. Yeah, and you hear the and you've heard it a million times. The scree scene, yeah. sound, right? Yeah, but it's called the knife scene. Ree, ree, so, ree. But, <laughs> but you you that is in the movie uh-huh. if you're listening to the sound, and that's what I was doing when I was first watching the movie. I was just listening to it because I. I prefer to listen to stuff yeah. before I watch it. It's kind of hard to do it when you're watching a movie. So sometimes I, I won't even be paying it. Half the time, if I'm sucked into a movie, I'm not even watching the movie. I'm just listening to it. And, and then like some asshole will pull me out of the fucking movie, you know, because they either talk or turn on the fucking phone or, or in Joe's case, watch a goddamn movie while I'm talking about it. So... Yeah, in fact, he's on that scene right now where he, the girl is in the kitchen. Yeah, with death the, just dead. took the killer. Yeah, and that all of that stuff is laced. That entire soundtrack, all the sounds, you know, the effects and whatever else, all of that is laced in the movie. Yeah, in, in the short. I was so astounded by like if you watch the mask, the fucking mask, <laughs> right? And then you watch a couple of his other movies, uh, John, the John Wick one. Yeah. Okay. Let's just, I the mean, many deaths of John Wick. Yeah. And then let's just make it into a linear type of thing. So like, it feels like the mask was like real early work. And then as you move along, the and John Wick is pretty recent, but yeah. it, and then this one is, an, it, it just feels like between those three movies, you could see a maturation. Absolute. Yeah. Uh, the way that he has evolved as a filmmaker in the, and especially in this with the use of it's mostly like a gray grays and whites there's not a lot of color yeah, in it yeah and it's the, the this bright fluorescent like it looks like those camp lights that you can, you open uh-huh. up and you just you held it underneath uh-huh. so it comes from up instead you know and it's a cool idea cuz it makes everything look ghostly yeah and and there's there's this uh there's this cloudy like substance like he took vaseline and put it on the on the um camera lens mm-hmm. so you have this like when he's in the apartment and then there's like a flashback and you see it kind of shake and jiggle and you see blurred outlines and whatnot, you know, to make it look like a ghost and everything is grayed out. I, I still want to know what fucking TV show or movie he was watching oh. when, uh, when he got home, yeah. he turned it on. Yeah. Cause it was obviously it was something it's either done by Chris or one of his friends, you know, and they and he was watching it and, and you know yeah it's part of me be. wants to say it's like Haddonfield or something. Well, like I know that. it's nothing that's been copyrighted because it would have said at the end of the video, "Please don't sue us," like all his others do. Well, yeah, of course it's not copyrighted. And so I mean, I so it's got to be something original that that was on the TV. Yeah, he's done. He has original stuff. I want to see him do a something Tarantino esque. I want to see him do a western. Okay. You know something with with a lot of action. You know, stunts, this and that, and the other thing. Okay. But yeah, this, this Honda City, I only watched the first one. Joe's watched all of them. Yeah, all three. And 
Jesus, I mean, if- I'm, I'm interested. Like, I'm actually interested in this mythology that he's created with these characters. Yeah, and I want to see. And I sent him a, a message. You know, I, on the I wrote it on the uh, on the uh, YouTube page. I wrote, you know, like I, I wrote it. I want to see, you know, where this is going. Hey, know? give us more. Yeah, because yeah, gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah, and I, and this isn't lip service. Like, if I didn't give a shit, I'd say eh, it's okay. But no, I'm actually interested. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not like sitting here blowing smoke up his ass. I'm not blowing this up because, you know, we're we're getting traction because of Chris or anything else like uh-huh. that, or he's responded to us. I mean, I, I it's nice, but this is this is honest. This is stuff that we love. Yeah, you know, I I'm not a fan of the genre ghosts and the, the whatever. Been, I, I, it's I, literally been done to death. Yeah, but, like yeah. zombies, right? Yeah. But but there's still something you can still find something decent like yeah. a different perspective on things and it, yeah yeah like Beetlejuice I wasn't like the Beetlejuice short didn't blow me away uh-huh. I liked what he did with it I I liked him how he evolved it yeah you know but for the most part because it was all set in one place and and um, lack of sandworm <laughs> so when you when you have all that stuff you want to get a stuffed animal yeah <laughs> yeah. Crazy rabbit squirrel. Yeah. You know, uh, but that's just, that's like, you can't, you can't please everybody all the time. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm generally not afraid of, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm not a fan of this genre, you know, like the fog, like John Carpenter's the fog, right? Yeah. Which is a similar premise, which is ghosts and yada, yada, yada. I've, I give a shit less. I love John Carpenter. Yeah. But I've seen the fog exactly... 1.25 1.25 times. Oh god, I watch it at least two or three times a year. Yeah, you you I watch and love it. You watch it like I watch Raiders. I love it because it, it's 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 a mood thing. Um, and I don't even care about the pirates themselves. I don't care about the ghosts. It's just everything else around it, the yeah. music, the atmosphere. I don't care about that shit. I fucking See? love it. And, and Stephen King's The Mist. You know the 45 different versions of it, <laughs> and or whatever else. And you you name a ghost movie, mm-hmm. including Ghost Poltergeist. That's an exception. <laughs> but I don't consider that a ghost movie. Yeah, that's a family movie. Yeah. It's getting bothered by a ghost. Yeah, I mean, it, no, it's it's like, it's a horror movie. Yeah. It's it's like Friday the 13th to me. Yeah, I mean, there know? is a guy fucking peeling his face off in front of him. Yeah, and that's that's what I mean. I'm talking about like, you know, haunt, like haunting and, and this and that. Stir of echoes. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. I, I'm just, um, you know, on to the other side type of thing. Uh, whatever, you know. Um, I've never been a fan of it. But with the with this, like, it pulled me in because of the opening scene, mm-hmm. which is very similar to Zatanna, by the way, which is them out, two, out, two people outside talking, like, behind in an alley. And then the girl comes up and starts talking to him. And, like, you don't know if she's dead or not. Yeah, I didn't know she was dead until they went to her apartment and her body's on the floor. Right. And then they re- recreated the whole scene and everything else. Yeah. You know, and then he leaves. I think I'm getting the two scenes mixed up. Like, when he's stabbing her, mm-hmm. that's when you hear the, the psycho theme and the Jason theme. Okay. Or or, or at least reminiscence, reminiscences. Reminiscences. When we, when we do the, the, the review for the second film... The second um, Haunted City, uh, I, I'll I'll rewatch the whole thing again. So yeah, just put on your headphones and yeah, and and listen. But that's that's what I mean is that he, he is influenced by so many things. That stuff is going to creep in mm-hmm. regardless. I loved I loved the music. 
In fact, uh, <laughs> as I was listening to it, I actually picked up my guitar and was kind of noodling around with... Uh, when it ends with a dubstep? Yeah. I was <laughs> During the whole thing, I was just, you know, I was tickling the ivories with my guitar, although it's not a piano. I was uh, fondling the maple. Okay. So, fingering. I was fingering the maple. No, it's definitely not the ivories anymore, is it? Yeah. Well, tickling the ivories. I don't have a, I don't have a piano, so... But that's what I liked. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And they look, the, the the third one came out only a few months ago. So only I wouldn't doubt if uh, if he's going to make more. But he'll let us know. I would let, I I would hope so. He's got like five hundred fucking movies up there. Well, I know, but I don't know if he's going to be going on to other projects now. You know what I mean? Like like. Because I, I assume he's got a lot of shit. Because he said, I mean, he wrote in his little uh, description that he's, th- there's characters in this series that were things that he had been writing years ago. Right. On other scripts. And then he just decided to put them into this. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, mean, I can only imagine how much other shit he's got going on. Right. So, all right. Yeah, we'll do we'll do Haunted City uh, 2 next. Yep. And we'll go from there. But yeah, definitely check it out on Blinky 500's page on YouTube. Have a good day. Thank y'all.